Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we're going to go through some news from over the past week, people, and once again, it was not a quiet week. Even though it's March, even though it's April, this league, everybody, the NFL continues to provide us with more than a few headlines, even if they're not exactly about what some might call good uh, players in the league. We still have plenty to discuss, so have some news and also want to go through some Kyle Pitts best case landing spots, then also play a round of just best rookie landing spot in general with the likes of Travis Etienne, Najee Harris and much more so very special guest and by very special I mean he's on here about every single week he is Andrew Erickson find him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore Andrew happy uh you know April 6th great day to be great I could not agree with you more Ian I have been fueled by leftover lasagna ham it's one of the great benefits of being the only child that lives in state where your parents live you get to go to the Easter party. You get to get all the leftovers. And yeah, lasagna today, lasagna tomorrow. It's been great. I'm fueled. I'm fueled out. Real G's move in silence like lasagna, but Sam Darnold did not move in silence. What a transition there by me. Just killing it sometimes. But <laughs> Sam Darnold, big news where you get going here, was traded to the Carolina Panthers. Just received a 2021 six-round pick. Also 2022 second and fourth rounders. And yeah, man, when you trade three, three picks for a guy, even though none of them were a first rounder, we are now fully expecting Sam Darnold to be starting for the Panthers come week one. And we have even gotten reports that uh, the Panthers have basically given Teddy Bridgewater permission to to start seeking a trade himself. So, Andrew, initial thoughts. We'll start with the Panthers side of things. What are you expecting out of Darnold and this offense here in 2021? I am not as optimistic as a lot of other people are on Sam Darnold, I would say. I didn't think that the reaction to it would be as positive as it is. It's very, hey, he's not with Adam Gase anymore. He's going to finally break out. He's 23 years old. He's younger than Mac Jones is 22. He's younger than Kyle Trask. All of these things coming out a lot of puff pieces about Sam Darnold and how, okay, this is it. Like he's going to finally be the top guy that the Jets took. And I really couldn't address, disagree more with it. Again, I understand that he is in a much better situation now, but there is absolutely nothing that he has shown us at any point, even in the season that he didn't have, he didn't play with Adam Gaze in 2018. But like we've had people come out and say that we should, the Dolphins should move on from Tua because he played like seven games Sam Darnold's played 38 games. We have a pretty good sample size of what the guy has done, and there's no type of improvement whatsoever. Last season, he was the worst graded quarterback from a clean pocket. So people will talk about how, well, he's going to have more protection in Carolina. It's like, 
okay, but that's not the issue here because he's never been good even when he's had a clean pocket. And, okay, the receivers were better. Okay, that's fine. But look at some of the receivers he's played with. Jameson Crowder was better on the Washington football team, and then he went to play with Sam Darnold and was worse, even though he was getting more targets. Robbie Anderson was better before Sam Darnold showed up, and now they're re- going to re- be reuniting, and I could see that being spun away where, okay, this is good for Robbie Anderson. And say what you want about Teddy Bridgewater. He's super accurate, not a very, he doesn't stretch the field type of quarterback, but that's, again, the situation with Darnold. You look at Darnold over the past three seasons, he ranks bottom five in terms of PFF passing grade, throwing 20 yards downfield. So I'm having trouble finding the light with Sam Darnold. I think it's good for him. I think it gives him a chance to resurrect his career, but it doesn't really move the needle for him at all. Maybe he has a little bit more upside than Bridgewater just because of an unknown factor. His rookie season, I was looking, he was top five in average depth of target, eighth in deep ball pass rate as a rookie. So that was in a non-Adam Gase offense. So okay, maybe that's in his range of outcomes. But for me, I don't really view anyone differently. I think it's still good for CMC. We've seen him you know, benefit from checkdowns. He's played with Kyle Allen before. So I'm not super excited about it, to be honest. Darnold should be the type of guy that would get me excited. And the fact that I also cannot get behind this should tell you <laughs> all you need to know. He's got that Drew Locke factor in him where, yes, the overwhelming majority of plays that you will watch from Darnold or Drew Locke are bad. But every once in a while, in Drew Locke's case, usually a couple times a game, in Sam Donald's case, maybe a couple times over the course of a month, he will put some really good plays on tape. He had that touchdown at the very end of a blowout against the 49ers, rolling out to his left, throwing it back across. He's always had this kind of playground nature off script goodness occasionally to his game and that does make for these short twitter highlight films look i put out you know not every day but several clips extended you know minute long plus clips of highlights from players from the past year you can find 60 seconds of good football from almost any professional football player that has started multiple games over the past few seasons sam donald is no exception but come on people he is objectively a bad quarterback i don't know how we can sit here and pretend like the three years haven't happened yeah adam gase took my guy Chris Herndon straight to hell with him like I'm not a fan of that scheme of that team of what's been happening there I get it the Panthers are definitely a better situation to be a part of but where's the line man because we've had 50 quarterbacks have 300 or more dropbacks over the last three years Donald is 44th in PFF passing grade 40th in yards per attempt 44th in adjusted completion rate 48th in QB rating guess what Teddy 35th in passing grade 21st in yards per attempt Third in adjusted completion rate, 19th in QB rating. Teddy, I think those numbers are probably, you know, being skewed a little bit. Getting to play with the Saints, getting to play with the Panthers, having a better supporting cast and scheme than Darnold. I think we're looking at two bad quarterbacks. I don't really expect either one to be in a team's future plans as early as 2022. So, yeah, you know, it's better for Darnold than sitting behind Zach Wilson next year. We can say that. But should Panthers fans be, you know, incredibly optimistic? I would not say so. It was a haul, though, and Austin Gale brought up a good point. PFF Austin Gale, you can find him on Twitter, and he just said, you know, look at how we've had Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold. Again, objectively two of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year. Each guy has really brought about a massive haul. So, again, Andrew, ultimately what you, me, and everyone else on fantasy football, Twitter, and all over the world, just fans, it doesn't really matter what we think. We do continue to see these quarterbacks that, even if they haven't played well in the NFL, if people think there is a chance for them to play well in the future, you can get 
get a decent haul for him. And I guess that kind of brings up uh, just going in the NFL draft. Like you probably should be selecting a quarterback if you think that uh, your team even remotely needs one, because even if they don't work out, you can at least get a decent return for them in the long run. They're like currency. It's, and this is why we kind of are making the argument for more two quarterback leagues, more super flex leagues, because this is the type of element you get because in one quarterback leagues, the quarterback is so devalued, but in two quarterback leagues, it's more like the real NFL. And again, you can make the argument that, well, no, this is fantasy. We want to be as completely different from the NFL as possible. But I, in my personal opinion, I think that makes it more fun playing two quarterback leagues because now, okay, Sam Darnold is, is realistically an option. Like you're going to have to potentially use Sam Darnold or actually have an evaluation. Whereas in standard 12 team leagues, like Sam Darnold is going to be on the waiver wire. I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to draft him. Again, if he has good matchups. But again, I mean, it's not like he's going to play a lot of, you know, soft teams. going to play the Bucks twice a year. He's going to play the Saints twice a year. So, I mean, the guy's got to cut out for him. It's, it's not going to be easy for Sam Darnold with the Carolina Panthers. Again, the, up, the, the weapons are there. But I think my next question for you, Ian, is so the slot thing with Sam Darnold. So we know the past two seasons, whether it was Jameson Crowder, where there was Braxton Berrios, the dudes were just getting, you know, peppered with targets from Sam Darnold and... I think that's more of an Adam Gase thing based on the offense. Cause even Jarvis Landry did something similar to that. At least that's kind of what I was my main takeaways from that. And right now the Panthers don't really have a primary slot receiver. Curtis Samuel played that role last year. Do you think that we see DJ Moore move more into the slot? Do you think that they draft someone that do it? Is it the tight ends, Dan Arnold, Darnold? I'm, I'm, I'm all for maybe that potentially <laughs> being a thing. What are your thoughts on, on that slot? And is that going to be a position that Darnold leans on? Do you think? Quick fun fact on Sam Darnold. His full name is actually Sam Richard Darnold. So if he really wanted to just, you know, try to rewrite his image, his career, he could start going by Dick Darnold and people really couldn't, you know, say anything about it. It's just a name. It just is what it is, Andrew. But I think in general, we overrate a uh, kind of, you know, slot frequency and, you know, a quarterback, you know, being in one system, feeding a running back and then moving into the next. I do think it is usually more so the scheme than what the quarterback necessarily prefers. And yeah, we just have more history of Adam Gase just really featuring his slot receivers. Even in the Peyton years, you know, Wes Walker was getting fed. The Bears season, he was feeding Eddie Royal 5.6 targets per game. Then we had the Jarvis Landry Dolphins years. Even Danny Amendola got 5.3 targets per game in uh, 2018 before he moved on to the Jets. So I do believe it is more of an Adam Gase thing. It's not bad news for DJ Moore or Robbie. Again, I mean, look, last year, credit to Teddy. Again, he wasn't terrible. He managed to get Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Mike Davis all over 1,000 total yards. Like, should give him some, you know, credit for that. With that said, I think a lot of that was more Joe Brady. And I just don't think Darnold is huge enough of a downgrade to completely hold back these skill position players. An upgrade? No, I'm not going to, you know, be bumping any of these guys up, including Robbie Anderson. Spare me that pass connection, man. The pass connection was not good. You can show me like the 95-yard Cowboys touchdown. I'll show you a minute of Robbie Anderson flying past cornerbacks and being overthrown or underthrown, just not having the ball even put in his general vicinity. So very rough for everything with Carolina. I think if you had to look at this offseason as a Carolina Panthers fan, all the quarterbacks they've been involved in, the rumors, you know, the potential high draft picks. If you had to tell a Panthers fan beginning of the offseason, okay, your new quarterback's going to be Sam Darnold, I don't think they'd be very happy, Andrew. I think we're being prisoners of the moment here. I think it's two, again, below average to be nice uh, QBs, and I think the Panthers need someone else if they have any sort of dreams of, you know, becoming a great offense uh, in the near future. I think one point as well when it comes to with Robbie Anderson is 
we can't really look at the splits with Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold last or when they played at the Jets because Robbie Anderson was used in a totally different role. He was the downfield threat, 17 average depth of target, 17 yards average depth of target. And, you know, last year was the year that Anderson arguably had his best season because they didn't use him that way. They used him more close to the line of scrimmage. So, Again, I agree with you. I don't think that we should be excited about a reunion between the two. It's really kind of a whole new relationship between them because Anderson's in a totally different role than he was even with the Jets. So, again, I think that, you know, if Anderson's ADP is rising because of this perception behind, oh, well, you know, he's got Donald back. Like, here we go. Wheels up. That's something that I would not be going into. DJ Moore, I feel the same about. So if for some reason, you know, the consensus is, oh, this is this is terrible for DJ Moore, like Sam Darnold's going to be terrible, then okay, I'll buy the discount on DJ Moore. But it doesn't really move the needle for me either which way. And, and one thing too as well, again, the comparisons to Ryan Tannehill are obviously going to be heir apparent with moving on from Adam Gase. But I think the most important thing to point about that, about that is Ryan Tannehill was much better prior to Adam Gase ever showing up in Miami. Like we had... He played games, he played seasons without Adam Gase, he played seasons with Adam Gase, and even in those seasons with Adam Gase, again, I want to point to the clean pocket. Like, that was the clear difference between the two quarterbacks. Tannehill from a clean pocket with Adam Gase. 108.2 passer rating, 6th best. Yards per attempt, ninth best. So, yes, when you're under pressure under an Adam Gase system, okay, you're done. It doesn't matter what you do, it's, it's basically over at that point, but... Look, it's similar to the whole Daniel Jones is now taking the Josh Allen leap. It's like, no, like Daniel Jones can improve in year three and not be Josh Allen. Yeah. Sam Darnold can improve without Adam Gase and not be Ryan Tannehill. So, again, we like to latch on to the, the newest thing from last season or the most recent thing of memory, but we have to kind of temper expectations a little bit and you know inject a little bit of reality into this game we call fantasy. Yeah, I don't think Sam Darnold or Carson Wentz are going to become top five quarterbacks. I also think they're probably going to be better than we saw them last year. Uh, don't always need to assume that, you know, when some of this news breaks, you know, in the in early April and there isn't much to talk about, that it is truly going to be a league-shifting uh, story. I appreciate it happening. It did give us something to talk about. But again, people uh, just would not expect the Panthers to be big-time contenders. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's something, man. At least this is, you know, more exciting than having Teddy back there because, again, I do think Darnold brings... Uh, that kind of off-script game. Like, it's just going to be more entertaining. I don't know if it's going to be better. I, I think, you know, Teddy certainly gives them a higher floor than Darnold, but uh, at least, you know, at a minimum, credit to the Panthers for realizing that Teddy, you know, probably wasn't going to be the long-term solution and at least trying something different. So we'll see how uh, Dick Darnold and the Panthers can do here in the future. And just some other uh, news items that we won't spend quite as much time on, but Larry Fitzgerald is expected to retire. You know, we are getting those graphics, pretty hilarious graphics coming out. You know, like, oh, Kyler Murray, look at these weapons. DeAndre Hawkins, obviously a stud, but seeing AJ Green, you know, Larry Fitzgerald in the year 2021 acting like they're actually something uh, worth a damn uh, was a sight to be was a sight to be uh, sight to behold. Jeez. But with that said, we should take a moment and just, you know, hey, look back on Larry Fitz's career because this guy truly for 17 years uh, did, did, did deserve to have his name, you know, towards the top of pretty much any best conversation around the top wide receivers for a long time. I would encourage people to check out uh, Sam Hoppin on Twitter at Sam Hoppin. 
hopping. He's been doing some cool visuals and basically he's got a, you know, starts off in 2000. It just kind of shows the leaderboard of the most fantasy points scored over the past 20 years. Number one is Larry Fitzgerald for wide receivers. Number one for running backs is Frank Gore as well. So truly fits. I mean, if you've only been, you know, following football for the past three, four years, maybe you just see him as kind of this dusty possession first receiver. But Andrew, prime Larry Fitzgerald was a sight to behold, man. Yeah, man. I remember playing with Larry Fitzgerald in my first ever Madden game, Madden 2005. He was a rookie in that game, had him on the Cardinals with Anquan Bolden. It was unstoppable for sure. 2008 playoffs, I thought was Fitz's, you know, true coming out moment. Like I'm here as a legit top receiver in this league. Six catches, 101 yards in a score against the Falcons. Next round, eight catches, 166 yards in a score against the Panthers. NFC Championship, nine catches, 152 yards and three scores against the Eagles. Unfortunately, couldn't get the Super Bowl win over the Steelers, but managed to catch seven balls, 127 yards and a pair of touchdowns in that one. So truly, you know, if you just want to look at playoff performances as a whole, I think Fitz's 2008 run is right up there with the best of them. Moving on, Andrew, the Texans could reportedly, the Texans offseason, uh, you know, just in terms of their free agent decisions uh, is the gift that keeps on giving because if Deshaun Watson is not back with the team, we are hearing that Alex Smith could now be a member of the Houston Texans in 2020. If you could tell me, Andrew, like, Who's the one quarterback that could underwhelm you more than Tyrod Taylor on this team? I might have answered Alex Smith. Uh, let's say Alex Smith is starting is a starting quarterback for his team in week one. Is there anybody in this offense you're remotely interested in at cost in Fantasyland? Well, I will say that it might give a little bit of a boost to David Johnson because, hey, J.D. McKissick flirted with RB1 numbers with the Washington football team because of his usage in the passing game. And that's pretty much it. I think that pretty much neutralizes Brandon Cook's appeal, even as the target leader, because we saw Terry McLaurin's numbers just nosedive with Alex Smith under center for the most part. And I don't even, this offense, I don't even know who's on the team anymore. They've signed seemingly every no-name wide receiver that is probably a create a Madden player half the time. It's a mess right now, and, and David Johnson, I guess, would get a bump if it's Alex Smith. Again, if he doesn't have a mobile quarterback, then I think that's helpful, but again, that doesn't make me want to draft David Johnson. It makes it, oh, well, I have David Johnson on this dynasty team, so at least I can kind of swallow my pride and pray that he falls into 10 targets a game with Alex Smith, so yeah, that's my take with uh, Alex Smith. <laughs> I guess David Johnson would be the one guy we would have to take an extra long look at because of the J.D. McKissick uh, potential, but certainly a sad uh, state of affairs there for the Houston Texans. Uh, the Bears have confirmed Andy Dalton is their starter. You know, it's just kind of, we'll, we'll talk about Fitzpatrick next, but it is funny, you know, the different kind of approaches teams have. You know, we got the Bears saying, you know, Dalton is for sure our starter. You know, Washington, kind of pretty much every other team, like including the Patriots, you know, saying it's a competition, much like, you know, we saw in the Stidham versus Newton, that whole ridiculous, you know, offseason story line last year usually people money talks and we can tell who the starter is going to be with Dalton you know as a starter again you know just want to talk about as many objectively not good quarterbacks as we could this episode 21st in PFF passing grade last year 33rd in yards per attempt 21st in adjusted completion rate Andrew like he's going to a far worse offense man like if Andy Dalton can enable Allen Robinson to his usual wide receiver one production I think we should be happy because anything beyond that man I just don't know how we can expect much out of this yeah, the overall consensus on Dalton seems like it's a pretty neutral move for Allen Robinson, and I agree with that. But do you think that maybe we're being too op 
optimistic that Andy Dalton can continue. I mean, maybe Alan, I mean, is Allen Robinson just running hot right now, just with playing with these terrible quarterbacks, and he's just, hey, like, can he keep this up? I guess I'm trying to look at it from a different perspective because everyone is kind of assuming, okay, well, he'll be fine. Dalton is fine, but you know, what if Dalton is bad? Like, like actual bad? And is that something? You know, because Allen Robinson is being drafted with, you know, you know, all the good wide receivers. So you don't necessarily you're, you're not necessarily getting Allen Robinson at a value. I'd say there's a lot of other receiver options you could draft instead. At this point, again, I'll ask you this question, Ian. So would you rather have Allen Robinson or DJ Moore with with Sam Darnold? Uh, Andrew, that's a tough one. They're right there. I think they're both slowly but surely creeping. I, I have DJ Moore wide receiver fourteen, Allen Robinson wide receiver fifteen. So. I'm probably going to creep more down, though, and I think Robinson, too, because one, I think, you know, just looking at my own rankings, having Robbie and DJ as far apart as they are just doesn't make sense. Even if I want DJ more to work out because I think he's objectively the better player between the two, uh, I think when we just want to project the targets, they're still neck and neck. But yeah, man, with Robinson, like... He is great. And, you know, it's also great. DeAndre Hopkins. And DeAndre Hopkins was, you know, overcoming all these bad QB stars career until he met Brock Osweiler in 2016, <laughs> man. Like, there's a limit for all these guys. And Andy Dalton, even though he hasn't been, you know, he's not the worst quarterback Robinson's ever played with, but he's also not a good quarterback. And we shouldn't assume <laughs> that A-Rob can continue to overcome this. So, I'm with you. Uh, Dalton did feed A.J. Green an average of 146 targets per season in his five years with at least 15 games. So, you know, a-Rob does still have that, you know, solid 150 uh, target projection, uh, you know, in his most likely range of outcomes. But yeah, man, there's a lot of guys. I think when I update this, I mean, even, you know, Deontay Johnson, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, like if it's at all close in terms of, you know, what we're kind of expecting out of these guys, give me the guy that's not going to be in an absolutely potentially abysmal offense. So yeah, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, they are certainly some sliders here, you know, as the offseason continues to roll in. Andrew, small under the radar signing. He was an exclusive right free agent but the Eagles re-signed Boston Scott I'm a little bit lower than consensus on Miles Sanders I didn't really mean to be but here we are he is my RB 16 I don't know man he's good I think people are overrating him a little bit he's got the home run ability 74 yard touchdown against the Steelers 82 yard against the Saints I mean 74 yarder against the Ravens where he fumbled and uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside fell on it in the end zone like fifth in yards per carry eighth in yards after contact per attempt he's a good runner he's a savage in pass protection his highlight there are great but man he was one of our worst graded receivers him and Zeke led the position for most drops only Zeke had more fumbles than Miles Sanders last year you know bad year to be a ton, bad year to be uh, near the top of the leaderboard with Zeke I just don't know if Sanders is a guy who is just gonna continue to have this at times workhorse role he was already struggling to get in a new offense with Boston Scott back and with the potential for them to add someone else so you know for me similar to Robinson like I don't think Sanders is a bad player by any stretch but looking at his surrounding environment you've done studies on you know the negative impact dual threat QBs have on their running back. Miles Sanders to me seems like someone I'm just going to be comfortable letting someone else draft in 2021. I agree with you hundred percent. Hashtag team fade running backs that won't catch passes with running quarterbacks is my claim to fame <laughs> as I like to proclaim for myself, but I think you hit the nail on the head. The only thing that I've ever found in the study has been that if you were the clear bell cow with a running quarterback that and you get all the targets in the passing game, then you can overcome it. Saquon Barkley kind of falls in that category. At least he did in the season that he played with Daniel Jones when Daniel Jones was running. So he was kind of the exception to the rule, but because no one else touched the ball ever, and we can expect that out of Barkley. 
but that's not going to be the case. We have a whole new coaching staff coming in, running the offense, and we don't know how the former Colts coach is going to do with the Eagles. You know, they did a lot of running back by committee things that were kind of weird last year with the Colts. And at times, Jonathan Taylor was the best guy. And there were times that Jonathan Taylor's lows were very low. And we didn't know what the heck to do with him. Jordan Wilkins looked like the starting running back in Indianapolis. So <laughs> I don't think that Boston Scott's necessarily going to come out and you know, be the starting running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. But there's a ton of question marks. And right now, that's reflected in his ADP. He's going in that third, fourth round. And historically that has been the RB dead zone in terms of there's a reason why those running backs are being drafted. There is because number one, they're running back. So they need to be vaulted up. But number two, it means that they have problems or else they would be going in the first or second round. So again, you don't need to stress out about taking a running back there. Just there are amazing wide receivers on the board. So again, you know, don't pick running back, you know, running back in this committee here, running back in this committee there. Just take, hey, I'm going to take uh, the next best wide receiver that I can lock into 120 targets. I think that's just the best strategies to kind of just to fade those running backs and just draft the guaranteed volume wide receivers. And I was higher on Miles Sanders, I feel like, than most going into last year because we had seen evidence of Doug Peterson giving Sanders a larger role than he had given in his previous, you know, committee backs and all that. But just like James Robinson, like, we can have a good running back, but people, when there's a brand new coaching staff in town, like, realize the Norman NFL is to have a multi-back committee in the year 2021. So when we have a James Robinson and we have a Miles Sanders, guy that have guys that have gotten that elusive workhorse role, at least for stretches, when there's a new coaching staff we should question if they're going to continue to get that because again the norm is for committee backfields and with a severe enough change with the head coach and the offensive uh, play caller just like we have in philly and jacksonville don't do not assume that things are going to be exactly the same as they were in 2020 uh andrew we talked about uh you know andy dalton getting the starting job ryan fitzpatrick well has not been named the starter he will be competing for it i'm gonna go on a limb and say he can beat out wild card you know superstar and international hero taylor heineke we'll uh we'll see there assuming ryan fitzpatrick is under center though man we're already starting to see him rise up the best ball ranks i think people are kind of realizing that hey if he enters week one as the starter he's going to be a borderline qb1 in fantasy land uh talk to me about what your expectations are for this offense and why we should still be very much in love with terry mclaurin i think that ryan fitzpatrick just offers way more upside than what they had a quarterback last year dwayne haskins alex smith Taylor Heineke for that one game. Taylor Heineke for that one game basically showed what the offense could potentially be with a quarterback that can throw the ball downfield. I think it means J.D. McKissick, his pass game usage is probably going to go through the tank right now. So just, <laughs> I know he's available sometimes in best ball leagues and you think that, you know, based on looking at last year's numbers, he kind of looks enticing, but I think that he's going to have a totally different role. Curtis Samuel is there now. Again, the only concern I have for the offense is just their defense is really, really good. And is that going to necessarily force them to play in shootouts again? If they're playing the Dallas Cowboys, all right, well, Dallas is going to have to score to <laughs> keep up because their defense sucks. So it may not matter in some scenarios, but I feel like they may have occasional games where, you know, the offense isn't throwing 45 times, uh, 45 times a game. They do have an established running back, Antonio Gibson, who they could feed him a lot this year. Again, he was coming into his rookie season, pretty inexperienced at the running back position. And, I mean, he has a lot of room to grow, and Antonio Gibson kind of seems like a guy that we're not talking about enough, maybe, as a benefit of Ryan Fitzpatrick landing in the Washington, with Washington because he's got that touchdown equity. Again, as long as they, they the team went away from Peyton Barber, and I think Peyton Barber is still technically on the team, and I just hope that they— No, I think he went somewhere else. Uh, all right, so I, I couldn't find exactly if he had 
been released or had signed with another team. But, I mean, he was kind of out of the picture towards the end half anyway. So, like, this is a guy where Antonio Gibson could be that actual legit three-down workhorse that maybe we're not really talking about as much in a up-and-coming offense. And if Washington's playing with leads, I mean, that was the biggest thing with him last year, too. They were always losing games. So he didn't have a chance to, you know, run the clock out or take on those types of advantages. So Antonio Gibson, um, got to keep him on the radar. Well, crap. I think I'm wrong. I think Peyton Barber is still a member of the Washington (laughs) football team, at least per Google. We will see what happens there and if he can continue to uh, flaunt that two-point. They cut cut Geis before the last season. So hopefully while they're just kind of doing some some spring cleaning, they're just like, oh, wait, Peyton Barber's still on the roster. Yeah, we (laughs) got to cut ties. Bro, they had like they had their running backs. The Bears had their tight ends uh, in the offseason last year. You can't blame them for just a uh, missing count of a few guys. Uh, Peyton Barber is like that dude from Office Space that just, you know, stayed along, kind of got lost in the weeds. Uh, we're, still, we're still paying Peyton Barber. He's still making a paycheck. He's on the salary cap still. They're going to figure it out like third week of the preseason. Like, oh, crap. Who's that extra running back we got here? Uh, quick shout out here. If you like fantasy football, if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season long. And playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do. But that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF to get a free PFF Veg annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. You can usually catch myself, Andrew, Jerry, sometimes Kevin Cole, doing at least one Underdog draft per week. And also on Fridays, you can catch me over at Roto World. uh, I'd be whatever. I'm calling it Roto World still. With my guy, John Diggle. We have a guest on every week, and usually Friday at 6 p.m. ET, we will go through a draft as well, where I usually have a beverage or two of my desire. Andrew, let's get back in the news, though, because the Buccaneers, Antonio Brown, are reportedly not close right now in terms of compensation. Obviously, AB came in, did some good things, you know, down the stretch, particularly uh, after their kind of bye week uh, in week 13 when they kind of got that, you know, easy schedule. Obviously, TB12 had, you know, let AB live with them for a bit, fed him all those, you know, pop passes in week 17 to help him reach his incentive. You know, gun to my head, it does seem like Antonio Brown would be back on Tampa Bay if it's going to be anyone, but I don't know, man. And I guess this uncertainty is just causing Scotty Miller to boo up these draft boards because damn it, my favorite last round best ball pick is now going, you know, regularly in round 14, 15. Uh, what are your thoughts on this passing, passing game? I guess, depending on whether or not AB is back. I think it's more indicative of the Buccaneers' depth at the receiver position. I think they like Scotty Miller. They like Tyler Johnson. So those guys were role players last year. But Antonio Brown, look, man, I don't know what he's demanding for money. I don't really know how he's in a position to demand for money. Again, Tom Brady helped him get his incentives. He's getting no desire from any other NFL teams because why would you? He's literally only worked with Tom Brady and any team that would be that would try to sign him to I would just be very afraid if I was an NFL GM to sign a guy like Antonio Brown, even though he was, you know, relatively productive down the stretch last season. Again, he wasn't, you know, he didn't, you know, melt faces as the number one wide receiver on the Buccaneers. He was playing with God when he was playing with Mike Evans. So again, you know, defenses weren't out to stop Antonio Brown necessarily. He was a complimentary piece and he fit in well, but I think the Bucs are in a situation where I think kind of similar to Fournette. They let Fournette test free agency and they, he figured out that nobody wanted him. So it's like, all right, well, if you come back on this deal, like you can be back on the team. We'll run it back. And that's what they did. And I think they probably did the same thing with Antonio Brown, except Antonio Brown is finding that not many people want him on their team because they've seen him on teams with not Tom Brady. And 
those teams have not been, you know, left in the best uh, situations, I guess, to say the least. So I think that the Buccaneers are, are I think you should keep drafting Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. I think is the, yeah. the main, the main strategy here. And I, I like those guys a lot. So, um, in there as they continue to develop, you know, AB is going to take up reps from them. And I don't think the Buccaneers necessarily want that with Antonio Brown. Yeah. Right now we got to be attacking the Buccaneers, like complimentary guys because Goblin Evans, even, you know, Brady and the running backs, probably they're all being priced pretty close to their ceiling already, or they're just kind of at a reasonable value, but Scotty and Tyler and even OJ Howard, I would say, these are the guys that if you just had to build your projections, you're going to realize that, you know, you have them getting far more production than what they're currently kind of being a, uh, projected for in terms of their ADP right now. It's just volume, man. They have these receivers. Tom Brady has never been a guy that's, you know, other than when he got his first real toy, Randy Moss, back in 2007. He's never been this guy that, you know, feeds a receiver just to feed the receiver. If the defense can't stop him, okay, fine. But truly, man, I mean, this affected Mike Evans and Chris Goblin in a major way last year. Obviously, this is great for the Buccaneers. They just won the Super Bowl, so don't freaking chew me out, everybody, on saying this is bad strategy. It's great strategy. Just like how, you know, a team... Uh, doesn't give their running back 30 touches per game. It pisses off in fantasy land, but in real life, no, that it makes sense. Why would you wear out this player at a replaceable position? I mean, I get it. With that said, Mike Evans in 2020 had seven games with fewer than five targets. He had five such games in 2014 and 2019 combined. Chris Goblin had eight or more targets in only six games last year. In 2019, two fewer games. He reached that mark 10 times. So truly, just we're not getting these. They'd be efficient games. I mean, you know, Evans inside the red zone was a beast. Goblin obviously still doing great things after the catch. But we're not getting bailed out with those, you know, double-digit target workloads with Jameis Winston having as many turnovers as he did big plays. One shootout after another. Just realize, you know, this Buccaneers offense, while the wide receivers are still incredible real-life assets, not quite, you know, the same wide receiver ones fancy that we were used to at Jameis under center uh staying here with the Buccaneers we briefly touched on this last uh, last week Andrew but Bruce Arians expects Keyshawn Vaughn to have a quote-unquote breakout year are you at all buying Vaughn now that Lombardi Lenny is back in action I mean come on what are we doing I am I'm optimistic about Keyshawn Vaughn a little bit probably more than the others and I just think that the situation is better for him in terms of they actually are going to have an off season where he can show what he can do at the running back position. He doesn't necessarily have to be playing special teams because that was the narrative with him last year that the coaches were talking up on special teams. So it's like, okay, well that means he's not going to be playing the actual running back position. Is LaShawn McCoy there anymore? Or is he gone? I think he retired. <laughs> he may as well have retired, but so, so he's, he's a free so, agent. He's a free okay, agent. So that's another running. So LaShawn McCoy was getting snaps last year. Whether that made sense or not, like that was a thing. And he was arguably ahead of Keyshawn Vaughn in the depth chart. So again, now it's pretty obvious. It's Fournette, it's Jones, and it's Keyshawn Vaughn. And right now, like none of, neither Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones has shown the consistency to be, you know, that receiving type player at the running back position. Again, graded both very poorly in terms of PFF grading and efficiency last year and Again, it doesn't necessarily matter because they're throwing it to the running back regardless because Tom Brady's on her center. But if Keyshawn Vaughn can emerge out of training camp flashing his ability to catch passes as he did at Vanderbilt, which he was good at, and he was really good in pass pro last year. PFF pass blocking grade. Keyshawn Vaughn, 84.3. Second, Leonard Fournette, 28.4. 95th. So there is a path where I could see Keyshawn Vaughn potentially – jumping Fournette or jumping Jones 
as a the pass catching back or the back on early downs. Like I think that the upside is attached to his profile, and because he's so much cheaper than the other two, I think it's worth taking a stab on. Again, we want to attack when we talked about the Bills running backs. We want to attack the ambiguous backfields on offenses that we know are good, and and that's Tampa Bay to a T. We don't know what's going to happen at all because it's Bruce Arians. And again, me saying this is not me guaranteeing that it's going to be a Vaughn breakout like you know Bruce Arians says it's going to be, but just looking at last year, Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back posted a top 30 PPR performance in 15 games last season. So every single week, essentially you were getting fantasy value from the Tampa Bay Buccaneer running back. The problem was we just didn't know which one it was, but in a best ball, it's a little bit easier because you're going to get those points regardless of whichever one it is. And and right now, like Ian, if I'm going to ask you just, just point blank, is Leonard Fournette good? Like, what do you, like, is he a good running? Like, can he, is he really better than Ronald Jones? Like on early downs, is he really good at catching the ball? I just don't necessarily see the special traits with him that wouldn't, that would stop an, a Keyshawn Vaughn or Ronald Jones from, you know, overtaking him, you know, throughout the summer and throughout training camp. Yeah, I mean, I look, I think Ronald Jones is better with the ball in his hands. I think Vaughn could certainly be the better receiver because, again, the only reason Fournette was their pass catcher was because he happened to be on one of, you know, two or three teams in the league where he would be the best receiving back. The same thing happened to him the season before uh, in Jacksonville. You know, Lombardi, uh, Lombardi Lenny's just been running pretty hot recently in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, getting that kind of optimal uh, workload for himself. I just think it's a stay away situation, man. I think this is screaming, uncertainty, three backs involved. Yeah, last year, you know, they were getting all those top 30 finishes. That's great. But we at least had it condensed down to two backs. When you throw a third one into the mix, that's where things can get especially jumbled. We'll see what happens, man. You know, you alluded to Bruce Arians just kind of, it's usually the wild, wild west out here in terms of uh, <laughs> expecting Arians to do what he says. Uh, on August 2nd, 2015, Arians said that he wanted Andre Ellington to get 20 touches per game. Ellington never had more than 13 touches in a game that season. On October 22nd, 2017, Arians said he wanted Adrian Peterson to get 25 carries per game. I will say the next week he gave him 37 carries. After that, he did not get anywhere near 25. March 29th, 2017, Arians said David Johnson should get 30 touches a game. Unfortunately, Johnson got injured in week one, so he never got to see Arians try to fulfill that pipe dream. And finally, on November 30th, 2020, Arians said Rojo needs to have 20 touches per game. He did not reach his threshold the rest of the season, albeit he was playing through the pain and had some COVID issues. So not saying that we should, you know, completely dismiss everything Arians uh, has to say, but I'm not certainly not going to buy into April Keyshawn Vaughn breakout year <laughs> rumors. Uh, Tyler Lockett signed a four-year, $69.2 million extension. Uh, you know, just kind of like the king of the better and best ball wide receiver group. Andrew, this guy has been the PPR wide receiver 16, wide receiver 13, and last season the wide receiver 8 in Fantasyland. Yet everybody hates him because he only he did all that in basically three games last year. Otherwise, just had two scores and one game with more than 75 receiving yards. Are you back in on Tyler Lockett? Because just based on what he's done over the past few years, and I think what we should expect him to do if he's going to be healthy, which he's only missed one career game, we should be in on Tyler Lockett at this discount right now. Going as the wide receiver 25 on underdog best ball. Again, like you mentioned, wide receiver 8 last year, wide receiver 12 in terms of fantasy points per game. And yes, it was very front-loaded on that 50-point you know, performance he put on the Arizona Cardinals. And it just goes back to how you feel about the Seattle Seahawks because when Russ was cooking, you know, it was Tyler Lockett that was also cooking alongside. So it was Metcalf, it was Lockett, and it was Wilson. And so when Wilson fell off, again, one of the receivers is obviously going to have to fall off. Metcalf fell off a little bit, but he was still able to kind of maintain 
you know, a top 15 wide receiver in fantasy just because he is the alpha in the offense. And, but if the offense is going to be just generally worse, is going to be passing less, someone's going to have to suffer. And that was Lockett in this case. And Lockett has definitely more of the, he needs more of the targets because he's less efficient on them than a DK Metcalf is. So that's what it ties back to. So if you think that the Seahawks are going to run the ball all the time and not, and Russ is not going to be cooking, then you shouldn't be drafting Tyler Lockett. But at the same time, we're drafting for upside in best ball in seasonal leagues. We want upside attached to our players. And how many players scored 50 points in a game? <laughs> There's not that many players can, that can do that. And you know, that's in his range of outcomes. So I think the price warrants that he continues to be drafted. He's not an older player. He's not, you know, this is an ageist podcast, but Tyler <laughs> Lockett has not, you know, fallen into that category yet. So I, I haven't been drafting enough of him, I think, is, yeah. is my problem. And, and, and you're right. It goes back to the the disgusting taste he left in our mouths at the end of last year because he just didn't do anything. And But that wasn't necessarily on him necessarily. It was the offense as a whole. It was just he was kind of a uh, scapegoat for it. Yeah, I get not ranking him as a legit wide receiver one for all these concerns. But yeah, man, wide receiver 25, like that, this is a guy that at his current price, we should be happy to kind of buy because he's not being priced at his ceiling. He's being priced, you know, much closer to a floor that, hey, I, you know, we, you laid it out. If they run the ball more and starts to, you know, even go more extreme to DK Metcalf than Lockett, okay, he's going to be more of a wide receiver two than a wide receiver one. But people, the guy just got almost $70 million for the next four years. The Seahawks, have shown absolutely no willingness to add another receiver to the room. I mean, we're still looking at a projection of triple-digit targets from our guy, Russell Wilson, and I just reject the idea that Seahawks are even going to be able to run the ball more, man. There was this idea that they fixed their defense at the end of last year. Here were their last six quarterbacks that they played. Dwayne Haskins, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, C.J. Bethard, Sam Darnold, and Colt freaking McCoy, man. Before that, they were 28th in points per game allowed. Like, they're going to go out there. Great. Spend your first two drives, give them the ball to Chris Carson 20 times. And when you're down 14 to nothing, you know, we'll start seeing Russ have to cook out of necessity like he, you know, was like he had to do for most of his career before 2020. So, yeah, Tyler Lockett, when he's being priced the way he is now, that's something we should be trying to get more and more exposure to. Dude, Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz are good now. What do you mean? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I, I, I got to look through the, you know, the offseason uh, googly eyes, I guess. Andrew, last uh, newsworthy item. You know, this one's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but Cam Akers decided to absolutely end a dude in the Twitter replies. So to set the scene, everybody, Cam Akers, who turns 22 in June, tweets out, I want a girlfriend, man. You know, certain, certainly a <laughs> reasonable thing for a 21-year-old 20, Los Angeles uh, Rams starting running back to tweet. <laughs> Uh, some poor man named Kushmiser responds, I'm pushing 30. I never have one. Chase that money and dream, man. A girl will come along eventually. You know, just some, some nice heartfelt words for Cam Akers. Akers decides to respond, pulls a rookie Bobby and starts off with, with all due respect. And then ends this dude's life with, I'm not trying to be like you, bro. And includes a laughing face emoji. Andrew, how much higher are we raising Cam Akers in the ranks after this just alpha move? I mean, he's got to keep going up and up. I think that he's one of the better running backs you can get at the top of the second round. I feel great about getting him, even if it's the end of the first round, because you know we talk about how, especially now, we're talking about Kyle Shanahan, how he's going to make you know X quarterback amazing, and we're we're, we're talking about you know anyone post Adam Gase is going to make this quarterback amazing, and there's a lot of coach narratives going on around talking about how they're going to you know be the end all be all, especially at the quarterback position, which 
I, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, like they're not making the throws. You know, the coaches really matter a lot more for the running back position because they're actually de- deciding, okay, this is actually going to be a run play. Like this is the running back I want on the field. So they're actually kind of influencing that more. And a lot of the hesitation on, on buying into Cam Akers has been, well, Darrell Henderson was there, but you know, Malcolm Brown is totally gone. Not enough people are talking about how he's just totally gone from the offense and there doesn't look like anyone's replacing his snaps. Cam Akers can take over those snaps. And, when was this Rams offense its best? Oh, yeah, when they had one running back named Todd Gurley, and he was, like, the best running back in fantasy football. So why can't that be in our range of outcomes with Cam Akers? Why can't he be next Todd Gurley? Again, it didn't work out for Todd Gurley in the long run for his sake. It worked out pretty well for for fantasy managers. I don't mean to be rude about it. With all due respect, like my man Cam Akers, but, I, yeah, I, I don't. I, I think Cam Akers has, like, legit, like, RB1, like, overall potential. Yeah, quickly on Gurley, man. Oh, he like broke my heart, dude, on Twitter. He on April Fools, he tweeted out oh long couple God. of weeks, but finally about to sign to a team. And then he followed it up with, Y'all know I'm fooling around April Fools. I'm staying ready and working hard. He's still only 26 years old, man. I mean, it's you know, we laugh and when the NFL say he was the 52nd best player or whatever in 2019, <laughs> like okay, I you know, we've all made some jokes at Todd's expense, but man. There's that'd be amazing if his knees could somehow just come back to him. I, I highly doubt it's going to happen, but man, it'd be fun to watch a rejuvenated uh, Todd Gurley for sure. Andrew, I do not know why Jonathan Taylor is being drafted ahead of Cam Akers. I am confident that Akers should be going ahead of Taylor. Look, one of them had their incumbent week one starting running back come back to the team. That's Marlon Mack and the Colts, not Malcolm Brown. He took his talents to Jacksonville. There's more competition for Taylor in an offense that very likely will be worse than they were last year, considering the downgrade of course quarterback meanwhile acres is the one that got the quarterback upgrade with matthew stafford so like you said man we saw the best version of this rams offense in 2020 leaning on cam acres fully expect that to remain and the fact that we're seeing you know taylor be the guy that people are most expecting to go forward i think it comes back to you know this issue that you know i've kind of just talked about a lot in the past where we fall too much in love with our pre-draft rankings and views on these guys don't make enough of an adjustment to landing spot after we see things actually play out so are you with me Andrew, Cam Akers over Jonathan Taylor? Honestly, so I'm like staring at my rankings right now. And Do I it. Have Make Jonathan. the change. <laughs> I I think you've got me convinced. Yes. I, you know, just kind of thinking through it, who has a better chance? Who's going to be a top five offense? Like, if you had to bet on a top five offense, it's going to be the Rams or the Colts. I mean, I'm going Rams all day. And if that's the case, I want running back attached to the top five offense and not the one attached to a Carson Wentz, who, again, is he going to be better? Yeah, I think so. But is he going to be better than Matthew Stafford? Probably not. So I think that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I, I guess this is a Acres over Taylor audio podcast now. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills, people. It's everyone's favorite tournament of the year. The golfers are in Augusta, Georgia to compete for the Convetted Jacket and DraftKings. America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds in the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. Download the top-rated DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament. It's code PFF to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, make sure you call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
Andrew, we're going to play a Kyle Pitts ranking game next. I wrote an article about him in the past week. You wrote an article about him on the past week. Everyone's writing articles about Kyle Pitts because he <laughs> looks like the most special tight end we have seen enter the league in some time. Yes, we've all seen, you know, Vernon Davis put together as equally freaky of a combine, you know, that Pitts put forward at the Florida Pro Day. But when you just look at him from a production and athletic profile standpoint, you know, again, hate to use the word generational, but Pitts is truly looking like a generational tight end prospect. So Andrew, we're going to go through, I would say the more likely teams to draft him, you know, it seems like right, maybe he free falls, but Certainly seems like a guy that's going to be off the board by the time pick 15, 16 at the absolute latest comes around. If he goes as high as even, you know, number four, I don't think anybody would be shocked. So PPR position rank at tight end, Andrew, if the Falcons select Kyle Pitts. So I had him at nine if he gets drafted by the Falcons. And I don't I don't love the Falcons as much. I think as a lot of people I think people like the high powered offense, but the lifeline for tight ends is targets. Like we saw Logan Thomas playing a terrible offense last year and be a legitimate tight end because he got targets. And with Julio still there, with Calvin Ridley still there, the, at best he's going to be the third guy. And, and they're going to still involve Hayden Hurst to an extent. So I have the Falcons at nine. I think I would go tight end six. It's, you're right, number three. But this is one of the few offenses where we actually could get behind the number three doing something. Similar to, you know, C.D. Lamb going to the Cowboys last year. I know he kind of ended up jumping Gallup and becoming the two. But there are a few offenses in the league we can get behind multiple guys. I do think uh, the Falcons could be one of those. Just so we're clear, Andrew, top five in whatever order, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Hawkinson, and Andrews? Yes. Okay. Yep. So that's like the consensus top five. Yeah, I would be fine going Pitts after that group. What about the Cincinnati Bengals? So Bengals, so I can't, so I guess I'll just start this off. The bat. So I won't put Pitts in my top five, regardless of, of landing spot, <gasps> is the way I see. I just think that the other guys are just so much more locked into targets. So the Bengals I have is six. So that's one of my highest ones. And it's because, yes, he has the chance to be, you know, immediately step in and command targets. Again, if they're if he's going to the Bengals, it means that they didn't draft Jamar Chase, so that means he's going to be in com, you know competing with Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. So could he be the number one? It's it's possible. Could he be the number three? That's also possible. But attached to Joe Burrow, I think that you like that a lot. And from a targets perspective, it's there for for Pitts. Again, another offense where we realize Boyd and Higgins are going to be the one too, but with the amount they wanted to throw that rock around and with how bad their defense is, I do see the Bengals right there with the Falcons in terms of being one of the better possible landing spots. I think I'd be willing to even go tight end five, and that's the highest I have him because Mark Andrews is the only guy that I'm a little iffy on, Andrew. I don't know, man. You add Sammy to it. Josh Hill was a low-key signing where he could just take away some snaps. And, you know, just Mark Andrews is very good. I think he benefited a lot from MVP version of Lamar Jackson. I didn't quite see that same monster after the catch that I thought he was in 2020. Maybe he was playing through the pain a little bit, can always get better, still a young guy. But I think with Pitts, you know, we're calling him a tight end, man. I think, though, if we just look at him, he's a freaking number one receiver. And uh, even though the history has not been great, I do think uh, Bengals could bring out the best of him. What about, Andrew, where you believe wholeheartedly he's going, the Miami Dolphins? Yes, I love I love him to the Miami Dolphins. I think it's a perfect fit for his skill set. I put him at number seven, and the only player I have that's not in the top five over him, and I might switch on it, so is Dallas Goddard. So he's the other guy that I'm kind of like seeing pretty on pick. Because, again, his draft stock kind of is affected on the draft too. 
depending on if the Eagles add in another alpha wide receiver, because he has a legitimate chance to be the guy on an Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts that could be, you know, shockingly good this year. So Dallas Goddard has kind of a, a wide range of outcomes. So I would put him right behind Dallas Goddard with the Miami Dolphins. I think that he fits well with Tua. I think they're going to use a lot of 12 personnel with the tight ends. I don't think that that it totally destroys Mike Gusecki. And the thing that was stood out about to me about Kyle Pitts was he didn't play the slot nearly as much as you'd figure a super athletic, freaky tight end would be you're playing it in college. Again, he still played a lot in line. He still played a lot outside. Like those are where he really spent the majority of his time playing. So I think it would fit perfectly with the Kaseki in the slot. You, you put Pitts um, outside or in line, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker. I think it's a really good fit. So I have him at seven with the Dolphins. Yeah, look, he lined up in the slot or out wide on 42% of his snaps. So they were using him there. But to your point, like, yeah, Mike Desicki is someone that we see as a true wide receiver, you know, 70, 80% uh, plus times more weeks than not. So Pitt certainly, I'm not trying to say the guy can't be an inline tight end. I'm just saying, if you're drafting this, we've seen Hawkinson fan, we've seen highly picked tight ends, you know, not pan out. I get it. But, you know, if you're drafting this guy early, you would like to think that there's going to be a plan to feed him the sort of targets that a player of his talents possesses. Andrew, what if... Kyle Pitts gets drafted by the Carolina Panthers. So the Carolina Panthers were one of the teams that had their tight end run so many routes last year and do absolutely nothing with them. Ian Thomas was, I think, right, like top eight in terms of total routes run, and his average yards per route run was atrocious. It was like outside the top 100. So they have a role for a tight end that's like ready-made to go for an alpha to just step in and command those targets. There's no Curtis Samuel so I think that the Panthers would probably be, from a fantasy perspective, probably the best spot. And look, again, we've talked about bad things about Sam Darnold, but 2018, no Adam Gase. That is when the Chris Herndon hype train was born, <laughs> was in 2018. And the numbers are still there for, for Darnold when he targets the tight end position. It's still like his PFF grade, his passer rating are all pretty solid when he's targeted the tight end position. So if it's Darnold and Kyle Pitts... With the Panthers, I will rank Pitts as a, you know, near top five tight end. I have um, tight end seven. Just still a little concerned about the quarterback. And I'm not sure if the Panthers with Darnold under center can enable three higher end options like they were, you know, to their credit, able to do last season. We will see there. I would say, Andrew, maybe the best. Targets aren't going to be plentiful, but man, would they be efficient. What about the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, for me, it's just there's just too many mouths to feed for for... For Kyle Pitts, seventh. I mean, I still like Blake Jarwin to an extent. You know, we saw last year that Michael Gallup basically was phased out of the offense. And now you're adding another, you know, mega producer, another alpha receiver. It's just too many. So I have him at seven. Again, I think we can have a lot of splash weeks, but it's going to be a lot of inconsistent. Okay, now we're getting to two teams that I would not like him on. It is not a one-for-one fit. This is why right now I still have him as my tight end 12 on my rankings because I'm waiting to see where he goes. I'm not willing to take this leap of faith until we can actually put him in there. What about the New York Giants, Andrew? What if they decide to throw Kyle Pitts into that mess? Yeah, so this was my least favorite one. So I think because I have him at eight right now, and this is where I would put it. I'd put him at 12 if he went to the Giants. Probably my – this is the lowest rank I have on Kyle Pitts. I also would have him 12. I'm with you. I just don't know how I would kind of project the targets to go. Evan Ingram is probably the best incumbent tight end of the teams you listed from a talent standpoint, from an actual tight end. Again, Gusecki we mentioned is really more of a slot receiver. So I don't, I mean, Jason Garrett with these two uber athletic tight ends just seems really overwhelming for the guy. How can he screw it up? How could the Clapper screw it up? (laughs) 
He's just gonna make them block. He's gonna be like, I don't know what to do with these guys, like these mega super freaks. I'm just gonna make them block. Get the ball to Sterling Shepard. We'll be good to go. So yeah, that's Giants is definitely my least favorite landing spot. Yeah, and I mean, don't forget, people, before we freak out over Kenny Galladay and all these guys, Daniel Jones, 14 games last year, 12 total touchdowns. That's not 12 passing touchdowns with a bunch of rushing ones attached. That's 12 total touchdowns. Andrew, what about another NFC East team, the Philadelphia Eagles, who, as we know, already have two great tight ends. Let's assume Zach Ertz is traded in this scenario because, for the love of God, I can't imagine them doing it otherwise. I don't don't hate the Eagles' landing spot because... Again, they don't have a lot of established pass catchers there. They don't have they have Jalen Rager and they have Dallas Goddard, and it's kind of just a hodgepodge of players after that. There's no Ertz. So at least the Eagles have a lot of experience running 12 personnel, and I was assume that the new coach would, would still implement a lot of that, even though Doug Peterson is gone. So I think that's good. But at the same time, there's volume concerns with a running quarterback, and we need targets. We just need targets with these with these tight ends or else they just fade into oblivion and just have spike weeks and are impossible to project. So, yeah, I got Eagles at 9. I have my 12. You convinced me to move it up to 11-10, but, yeah, certainly wouldn't be the most ideal landing spot. Next one, last one, Andrew, I think is one of the better landing spots, the Arizona Cardinals, who added A.J. Green, but let's face it, it wasn't exactly the splash we were hoping they would make uh, alongside DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins. Yeah, it was uh, a little underwhelming when they signed A.J. Green. You got Christian Kirk there. They don't have a tight end. And and Dan Arnold had some stretches last year where he did some quality stuff. But, look, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury is the king of the hashtag fake sharp movement. And I'm afraid that putting in a guy like Pitts is, again, going to overwhelm him. Like, like He needs to go to a certain place where the coaches are going to look at him and understand, okay, what do we have at our disposal? Because I, who was the player they took last year? Like really high in the draft, it was like the super athletic. It was the safety from Clemson. Oh, Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons, yeah. Yeah, they took him, and then he wasn't even playing during like the first half of the season because they're like, yeah. oh, like we don't know how to use this freaky linebacker safety hybrid guy that just is a monster athletically, and we don't know how to use him, so we're just not going to play him. Like that's my concern, I guess, for him going to the Cardinals, and I guess kind of going back to the Dolphins. Like that's one of the reasons why I like the Dolphins landing spot because their new OC. He or one of their new OCs, he has experience. With, he was with the Patriots when they had Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. And he was also with the Houston Texans when they were experimenting with Steven Anderson, who was another converted wide receiver tight end player. So that's like why I was like particularly high on the Dolphins landing spot, because that's the thing. Like we talk about these tight ends, these hybrid tight ends and why they never work out their rookie years because they just don't land in the right spots. It's we need targets and we need a coach that's willing to kind of open the playbook not Jason Garrett, where we can do some things a little bit differently that we maybe haven't wouldn't do with a traditional tight end because that's what they need to realize is I don't have Jason Witten. Like this isn't the Jason Witten prototype. This is this freak that we need to use in different ways. So yeah, the Cardinals I, I wouldn't be too excited about either. Yeah, I have tight end six here. I guess I'm a little more optimistic that Kyler and Cliff can figure things out. I thought, you know, look, there were a lot of signs that, you know, the 2020 Cardinals were kind of like the 2019 Browns. Just a, a little bit too much too soon, I think, for them. Certainly, you know, hey, if you looked at, you know, how they were doing after, uh, you know, the Hale Murray uh, game and DeAndre Hopkins made a spectacular catch. Like, this was a team a lot of people were uh, getting behind Kyler, you know, dark horse MVP candidate. I know a lot of that was coming from his own rushing ability, but I still think that Kyler can enable 
table more than one fantasy relevant talent. And if Pitts is as good as all these smart people at our company seem to think he is, I think he could be that guy. Will certainly be someone to keep an eye on the landing spot. He is going too high right now, people. Tight end six on underdog oh ADP. That's too big of a stretch. I'm not saying you should draft him at that value. We'll see if when he lands on one of these teams, he's going to be a tight end one. He's going to be being drafted, in my opinion, about where his ceiling is. So, you know, Dynasty is a different story. I think, you know, you can load up on him uh, there, you know, a reckless abandon, particularly in tight end premium. I would just say keep in mind that he really is going close to the top of his value. And since 2010, only Rob Gronkowski and Evan Ingram and Ingram needed OBJ to only play four games uh, have been rookie tight end one. So Pitts back against the wall. History says, you know, we should be fading him. Although we have seen more than enough evidence that he could be the type of exception that beats the rule that is don't draft rookie tight ends. Quick note from our sponsors here. PFF has partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. The stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. NFL free agency is here and whoever lands a top in the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. And obviously we got the draft coming up. So, hey, maybe you think the Falcons will take Kyle Pitts and that he's just going to be the key that unlocks the next best version of this offense. If that's the case, you could go. To Symbol, use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. Promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Gotta love that. Andrea, we're going to talk about some other rookies here in the last segment of the show. We're going to go through some best rookie landing spots. So we're looking at mostly 2021 production. This is a fantasy football podcast. Where would these guys land that you'd be most excited about? Starting with Clemson running back Travis Etienne. I would love to see Travis Etienne on the Atlanta Falcons. I think that they could use another running back alongside Mike Davis. Mike Davis isn't a particularly explosive running back, and that's exactly what Travis Etienne brings to the table. Look at offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. Again, he lived in a Derrick Henry-esque offense, and no, Travis Etienne is not going to be. Derrick Henry is not going to carry the ball 30 times a game, but what he can offer, that's like Derrick Henry, is explosive plays. So that's what I like about Etienne. 40 rushing attempts of 20 plus yards, 11 more than the next closest back from 2018 to 2019 when he was running behind a good offensive line at Clemson. And Matt Ryan doesn't run. So we know he's going to check the ball down in the passing game. And ETN really amplified that part of his game this past season, catching a ton of balls out of the backfield, finished first in PFF receiving grade, first in receiving yards, second in receptions at the running back position in 2020. So I think that's a good fit for him there. The Falcons are going to be able to pick at the top of the second round. I think that's a place where they can go and grab a running back that's just going to offer them what they didn't have last year was just explosiveness because, you know, Todd Gurley, you know, mentioned him before. Again, it's, it's, it's tough times for his knees right now. This is interesting with ETM, man. I'm with you. I had the Falcons written down for sure. I think it's the most sure thing under center and Matt Ryan in a needy offense uh, for a workhorse running back. Really, I think the Steelers, Jets, Falcons, Cardinals, Dolphins, 49ers, Jaguars, probably in that order are kind of the best case RB landing spot. So I would say, you know, the Steelers, Jets, Falcons in particular, that's where we could see someone go and get that true workhorse role. We'll see if ETN is as explosive as he was in 2018, 2019, moving forward, man. He really put up better numbers as a receiver last year, which is great. We know he can participate in all three downs, but... Maybe it was just he set the expectations too high, man. I used to watch this dude play and think every single touch is going to go to the house. Like, he is that explosive. Didn't quite see that same player last year. But, again, who knows? It was just one year. Whether it's a sign of things to come or not remains to be determined. 
Andrew, best case landing spot for Najee Harris. Najee Harris, Alabama. I'm going to go with the New York Jets. And Are you looking at thing- my notes? <laughs> Dude, we just have a lot in common. We're, you know, extremely astute individuals when it comes to fantasy football. So <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> Najee Harris, I think it makes perfect sense with the Jets zone running scheme. Again, coming from Kyle Shanahan, you got Michael LaFleur running the offense. They're going to be pairing with Zach Wilson, who I also think is a really good fit into that scheme. And Najee Harris just is really good at he's such a well-rounded running back he can catch passes he breaks tackles he's explosive again he just doesn't have that like top end speed but at the same time not everyone is going to be able to run a 4-4 at running back when you weigh 230 pounds it's just not it's not it's not a fact like it's not possible for someone to i mean there are a couple guys that can do it but again i think that He's a can't miss running back prospect. He's got fantasy bell cow written all over him. And I just would love him to just go to the jets because we can just totally throw out the Tevin Coleman's and the Ty Johnson's LaMichael. We can just throw those guys all out, just get rid of them. And, and that would make like Harris arguably someone I could see rise up ranks as to be like a second round pick. And I know we've, we've had years where we had rookie running backs go in the first round. And I think Harris to the jets wouldn't generate that type of buzz, but I'm not so sure that it wouldn't be unwarranted based on an offense that we could see take a lot of steps forward and a guy that's going to be a 20-25 touch player with this team. Yeah, with the Jets, you know, everyone's talked about how they're going to be running the Shanahan-style offense, and, you know, we let our imaginations run wild when some of these, uh, you know, coaching trees make their way elsewhere. You know, we're still waiting for, you know, Bill Lazor and those Bengals to start resembling Sean McVay <laughs> here. Any, any year, any year you want, Bill, you know, no, no one's uh, no one's rushing you. It's just, you know, been, been, been two already that have been pretty rough. But the big thing for Najee here, again, Steelers, Jets, Falcons. You just look at the running backs on these rosters. Like, Tevin Coleman would be, you know, old man Tevin Coleman at this point. Not to hate on Tevin. And he's been playing banged up last few years. But, you know, Tevin Coleman's like his steepest competition to get in that three-down roll. Uh, the Jets in this post-gay society that we find ourselves in could certainly put up some better numbers than we're used to. Now, Andrew, North Carolina running back Javante Williams, who was PFF's top-graded running back from last season. I'm going to go. I know you've mentioned the top landing spot, so I'm afraid that I'm going to just going to say the Steelers. Three for that's... three. There we go. <laughs> I think the Steelers makes a lot of sense and just kind of goes down to the simple fact that their offensive line couldn't block. They've got a lot of work to do. I think that they can draft some guys to potentially help out the offensive line. But what do you need when you have a running, when you have a line that can't block, you need a guy that can break tackles and no one was better than Javante Williams last year, basically breaking the PFF record for forced missed tackle rate at the running back position. He's not a burner whatsoever. I think he ran, I think it was like a four, five, five, four, five, eight at the UNC pro day, which I mean, you look at all the guys that ran at the UNC Pro Day and you would say, were these guys running in mud? Like, what was going on here? Everybody ran slow 40s, which is extremely odd for a Pro Day where you usually see the times much slower or much faster times. But I don't really care. That's not his game. He's going to break tackles and he used to play linebacker. So, I mean, I think the Steelers see that and they're like, oh man, like, let's get this guy in the building. He's going to have so much fun in pass protection going up against (laughs) TJ Watt in practice this is our guy. This is a stealer. Like, let's bring him in. 5'10", 210. Like you said, man, broke 76 tackles on just 157 attempts. Absolute machine. Send him to Pittsburgh. Give him Le'Veon's old job and just quit worrying about <laughs> this plethora of just average to meh running backs that Pittsburgh currently has in that backfield. And we are three for three. Moving on to the quarterbacks. Andrew, where would you most like to see Justin Fields go to hopefully become a 2021 fantasy superstar? 
So I think I probably would have said the Carolina Panthers, but because Sam Darnold's there, I'm just going to go with a little bit more realistic landing spot that I think is almost just as good. The Denver Broncos, you've just got all the pass catchers there. you got the weapons, Melvin Gordon, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Fields is a super accurate quarterback. He runs. He can do so many of these things. He throws downfield. He was one of the more aggressive passers last year and in college. Like That's the main difference between him and a lot of these other quarterbacks coming in. Is his ADOT is so much higher than a Trevor Lawrence, than a Zach Wilson, and that has kind of hurt some of his accuracy or his completion numbers to an extent, but for me, it just seems like a layup. I think that it would be pretty easy for him to win the job over Drew Locke, and I think that Justin Fields would just be an awesome fantasy player if he was on the Broncos. Yeah, wrote an article on this last week. I am with you. I had Broncos one, Panthers number two. It just comes down to beating that incumbent starter. We all realize that for Justin Fields, long-term professional career, San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan would be ideal. But all signs are pointing to Jimmy G being that week one starter. At a minimum, we would not feel as good about projecting Fields for 16 games in San Fran, as tantalizing as that prospect might be. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Trey Lance, though, and where he could potentially land and thrive? So I think that Trey Lance, for me, needs to go to a very particular spot because he's someone that needs some time to develop, I think. And I think a perfect spot for him is the Patriots. They have a ready-made-to-go offense that works for a running quarterback. And that's something that Trey Lance can offer them right away as a rookie. He's obviously got a cannon arm, and that works for a guy like Nelson Aguilar who can take the top off the defense. Cam Newton is not on their team long-term, and also he could get hurt. As a rushing quarterback, that's always in the range of outcomes. He's also dealt with injuries in the past. So could we see Trey Lance potentially take over in the second half? You know, a Colin Kaepernick-like start or a Lamar Jackson-like rookie season where Cam Newton plays really well, and then something happens, and then they go to Trey Lance. But the offense is already built around a running quarterback. So I think it makes sense that he could thrive in that type of system. We've seen guys like even Josh McDaniels, you know, he's messed with some more non-traditional quarterbacks like a Tim Tebow. So I think that they would experiment with Trey Lance and his specific skill set. It's a little bit different than some of these other quarterbacks. 69 rushing yards per game, man, in that 2019 season. So Just incredibly nice. And yeah, man, I think that makes a lot of sense for him. The uh, Washington football team at 19, Bears at 20. If he really slides, I think, uh, you know, the 49ers are also, you know, certainly in that conversation. Again, Jimmy G and how quickly you can beat him out would be a problem. I would say that Lance, you know, being, you know, the true, true dual threat talent that he is, maybe he'd be enough of a different look to trigger, you know, kind of that Kaepernick change under center uh, like you're talking about. So, like that call. What about everyone's, you know, just favorite quarterback these days, Alabama QB Mac Jones? I'm just going to say San Francisco 49ers because I think that's just really what the correct answer is because the way that everyone has claimed it to be, you go to the 49ers, I show up, play quarterback, I win Super Bowls, I win games, all I do is stay healthy, and I should be good to go. But Mac Jones, when he was operating in a system that reflected his best talents, you know, being super accurate, PFF passing grade, 94.8, ranked first and second nation last year. Like, he's just on top of everything when it comes to working in a system that caters to his skill set. So, for me, that's what the Kyle Shanahan offense does. I think that it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay up that type of premium for a quarterback that doesn't maybe offer the type of ceiling that a Trey Lance or Justin Fields does, but... Clearly, that doesn't seem like that's what the 49ers want. They want, a, they want a quarterback that they can kind of control to an extent and one that just kind of does what's need to be 
done and makes the plays from there. So go with the 49ers. And, you know, everyone out there just nodding their head in agreement and probably, you know, telling your friends how, oh, Ohio State's never had a good pro quarterback. Like, how could you go (laughs) Justin Fields? Name me the last Alabama quarterback that went into the NFL and did anything because I think the answer is Joe freaking Namath. So unless, you know, that's really your rationale for things, man, it's it's been infuriating kind of the way uh, some of this has been played out, you know, with uh, certain media analysts, uh, you know, reports they're getting on Fields and the fact that, you know, we can still try to hide hide behind uh, these anonymous reports and just really not even be, you know, not face any sort of a backlash regardless of if the report was even true is a shame. We'll see what happens, man. I do remember, I I would say this wouldn't be the first draft to have a lot of hype around a guy and then he falls a little bit. I remember when Joey Bosa was coming out of Ohio State, man, everyone was wondering, oh, he's not really a double digit sack guy. All these reports, you know, could he fall outside the top 10? Chargers end up taking him at three, and they're like, yeah, we knew we were going to take him months ago. So just realize Mac Jones, you know, not going the 49ers and Fields going there, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't be the wildest change of events on draft day. Andrew, we're going to finish things off with wide receivers. Where would you like to see Devontae Smith go? I think I want to see Devontae Smith go to the Lions because they don't have any type of competition. When I did my vacated targets, air yards, end zone targets, basically it's wide open for any receiver that comes in to kind of take on that role. We've seen Devontae Smith be pretty productive from the slot. He wasn't a full-time slot receiver ever at Alabama, but when he played in the slot around 30% of the time, he was super efficient, basically number one yards per outrun, number one PFF grade, all over the board, really efficient there. And that's something that they're missing right now. They have Tyrell Williams, they have Brashad Perryman, who are more outside threats. So I think that Devontae Smith can fit in from day one, be a starting slot receiver, and also work on the outside as well. And he wins with separation. And that's the signings of Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman. Instead of guys like Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, are telling me at least that the Lions want to go in the direction of drafting elite separators so i think it makes a lot of sense for them to go for a guy like Devonte smith i found six teams that i think we could realistically expect a high drafted receiver like this to immediately be at least the top two guy in the passing game the titans the texans maybe the jaguars as much as i do like dj chark and lavisca chenault the eagles the packers and the Lions. So obviously out of that group, the Titans and the Packers are the only ones that we can actually say have, you know, <laughs> a quote unquote good passing game. But yes, and you know, this game that we love fantasy football, we want to follow that volume. Certainly will be plenty for whoever does wind up going to Detroit. And look, as bad as Jared Goff, you know, can be and as much crap as we do give him, uh, you know, certainly Robert Woods, even Brandon Cooks back in the day and Cooper Cup certainly were just fine in fantasy land. I have the Falcons, you know, just in terms of him probably going top 10. I think the Falcons, maybe we're talking about them maybe moving back out of the fourth spot. That's the latest rumor today. You know, Julio being 32, Ridley, new contract looming. I think it could be like a CD Lamb S situation where, again, this offense can enable uh, more than uh, more than two fancy relevant receivers. But yeah, in t- terms of t- pure total volume, Andrew, I think you're spot on with the Lions. How about his teammate, Jalen Waddle? Jalen Waddle, I think, would fit really well with the Arizona Cardinals. He is just absolutely so explosive ungodly explosiveness and it's all about him being a slot receiver and who's gone from the offense now goodbye larry fitzgerald the slot is wide open for an arizona cardinals receiver to be put into that offense and just take the top off the defense they don't have that aj green explosive not in this lifetime like that's just not that's just not what the thing is right now and even hopkins to an extent 
know, Hopkins is much more of a possession receiver. He makes a lot of yards after the catch, but from someone that just has elite explosiveness, I think that Jalen Waddle can help take the Cardinals to the next step. I know that there was rumors last year that they really were interested in CeeDee Lamb, you know, kind of pairing him with Kyler. They ultimately went with Isaiah Simmons, but I, I don't think that they do that again. I think that they realize, hey, we need to make sure we build more, put more weapons around our young quarterback because that's that's what you have to do. You just need to load up. And outside of Hopkins, I mean, there really isn't much for Kyler Murray there. Again, Chase Edmonds is there, Christian Kirk. But again, it's pretty underwhelming outside of Hopkins. So getting out of Jalen Waddle, I think, can really help take this offense to the next level. Okay, I won this one because Jalen Waddle needs to go to Tennessee Titans because yeah. you have a, you had a great article come out on PFF.com evaluating high-end vacated targets and touches post-NFL free agency. And if you look at the article that you wrote, Andrew, the percentage of vacated targets, you know, based on 2020 season, number one, Lions. Number two, the Titans. Percentage of vacated air yards, number one, Lions. Number two, the Titans. Like, I understand they were a run-first offense, but much like the Seahawks, I don't think the Titans have the defense to give Derrick Henry the ball as much as they would like to. And even if he runs for 2,000 yards again, man, AJ, AJB is going to get his. We know that. We talk about it every single podcast but Corey Davis last year you know a couple goose eggs aside he had some rough weeks for sure he was giving us wide receiver two value more weeks than not and settled in nicely as a wide receiver three no Adam Humphreys I think Waddle could go there and not have to face you know just the sort of uh just immediate coverage attention that a player of his talents probably deserves and might face elsewhere. So again, you know, Lions and, uh, you know, some of these other situations where they could be the number one and get the full volume. Yeah, that that's nice. But the Titans, I think there's still plenty of volume there and we could actually get more efficiency with it. So it'd be a little bit of a fall to him. We'll see if he's still there at a pick 21, I believe is where they're going. But uh, we'll see, man. He did, uh, you know, he's coming off the injury. Maybe that does trigger a little bit of something. I am excited to see who the Titans eventually decide to pair with our guy, A.J. Brown. Last one, Andrew. Where do you want to see Jamar Chase go, and why is it the Cincinnati Bengals? I mean, it's funny because it's we've, too had perfect. Some, we've had some talk about, you know, they're going to draft, draft, draft offensive linemen. There was that funny graphic that was going on that, you know, Joe Burrow was getting a cartoon version of Joe Burrow was getting tackled to, you know, trying to throw <laughs> the ball to a Jamar Chase, but he couldn't because he was getting tackled because nobody could block. But look, this is a business, people. Remember that. And what's going to sell more tickets? The fact that the Bengals draft a offensive lineman that no one is ever going to really talk about that much, if you unless you're a complete diehard, or friggin' Jamar Chase, who helped LSU win a national championship with Joe Burrow, I can see the the billboards already built out in Cincinnati between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow paired together. You know, half LSU, half Bengals, some type of cool graphic. That's going to happen. It's it, it's going to be on all the season tickets. It's going to be everywhere. I've already thought it all out. I'm going. I'm in. I'm in discussion with the Cincinnati organization about how we can advertise as best possible. So for me, it's, it's chase it's burrow. I don't think it's necessarily the smartest thing, but they're going to do it. So just get ready, get your popcorn ready. Like they can still address the offensive line without exactly. using their first pick on it. I mean, they went Jonah Williams first round 2019, Billy price first round 2018, you know, I don't think it's as ridiculous of a pick as some people are making out to be. I understand protecting Burrow is priority one, but we can do both. Like, again, Jamar Chase, like, 
per PFF Boston Gale, he came on this pro- on this uh, podcast, everybody, and told you that Jamar Chase is a better prospect than Justin Jefferson. We just saw Justin Jefferson work as a legit, you know, top 10, top 15, if you really want to stretch wide receiver as a rookie. So if you can put that sort of talent into your offense immediately, like, okay, we still got some more holes to fill on the offensive line, but the Bengals with Jamar Chase and that squad would certainly be a far better and explosive offense than without. I love it. Uh, real quick, everyone, I encourage you to watch the PFF Draft Show starting on pff.com on april 29th we're gonna be covering every round with live reaction and analysis from chris collinsworth pff's team of draft analysts and guest appearances from richard sherman al michaels and more again every round on pff.com you can also check out our 2021 nfl draft guide with over 300 player profiles and you can subscribe to edge or elite to get it so take one of those deals we've been floating your way uh ten dollars you know co pff you can go get that and get everything you need to get caught up with the draft thank you as always for tuning to pff fantasy football podcast and Andrew, what do you have on the uh, docket for the rest of the week? It's all draft content. I don't even write about the NFL anymore. It's all <laughs> rookies, rookie rankings, ranking slot receivers, ranking the outside wide receivers, ranking just doing NFL mock drafts. I'm, I'm dabbling into non-fantasy content, so you know, pray for me, but I'm going to try <laughs> some NFL content, maybe a couple of fantasy nuggets thrown in there as well. But yeah, mock draft coming out on Friday. Excited to, to you know manipulate the draft board and try to project some of these picks. Yeah, I might do one mock draft right before the draft. I think you people are just adding to the problem right now. There's 30 million mock drafts out there. None of us know what's going, but whatever. I, everyone I know that. that I know that Kyle Pitts is going to the Dolphins. There I know go. that. Is, that's the only thing I care about at this point. Check out that stuff from Andrew. I had an article go up on Tuesday when we're recording this about the best and worst NFL teams as selecting first round picks since 2010. Andrew, the Texans have been the best at drafting in the first round. It's a shame they don't really have many to go around these days. But, you know, people scoffed at this when it went because, you know, they scoff at any ranking or list sent oh, out yeah. by our lovely employer, no matter what. I mean, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Kareem Jackson, Wolf Fuller, Jadavian Clowney. I know when you have these high draft capital, it's a little bit easier not to whiff. But it truly is wild how the Texans, you know, made so many added truly great players to their organization and just could not do a single thing with it. So, Check that one out if you would like. And like Andrew, I will also have plenty of draft content on the way as well. Looking at dual threat quarterbacks on Thursday, receiving friendly running backs on Friday. So everyone check that out at PFF.com. Check Andrew out on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.